Fardad, uh, thank you for coming in. You you have this marvelous uh, career as a serial entrepreneur, doing so many marvelous things in the use of technology now with uh, Kudo. Um, so let's share some of those insights uh, with the audience. And thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. So one of the key areas that uh, my audience is always interested in is, you know, what were those inflection points that made this marvelous career that you have, this wonderful person where you're contributing in so many different dimensions across so many different areas? Uh, and it could be something that happened when you were really young, let's say three or five, something in the family, could have been a teacher, could have been uh, exposure, uh, traveling, or, you know, maybe some things that happened in your career. What were those two or three magic moments in your life? Great question. Um, it, it's, uh, it's very, uh, uh, I, I remember exactly the time. So I, I grew up, uh, in Iran, uh, I was uh, a teenager um, in a very uh, like mid eighties, and this is when my dad um, was at war between Iran Iraq, and uh, this is uh, right after Iranian Revolution when the war started, and for me the. Uh, watching Security Council meetings as a 14-year-old was uh, pretty much the only hope I had for passing a ceasefire resolution for this war to be, to be stopped so my dad could come back. And in those meetings, I was always fascinating, fascinated by listening to these conversations in multiple languages and how live language interpretation would work for really creating a seamless communication uh, amongst uh, world leaders. So for me at that point, uh, the UN was the savior of uh, my dad and me being able to spend time with my dad as a teenager. This war lasted about eight years. My dad spent about 72 months at the war during the war and coming home every 45 days so um for me it was a moment that okay if i if i can at some point i want to give back around the language and technology and that's kind of a what led me to spend 25 years pretty much entire adult life uh in the space of technology and language Ah, so now I can see the connection of the UN about the translation services and so on. So how did how did you, did you have a an interest in technology even when you were a teenager? Were you curious about science and so on, or did that come later in life? Yeah, my um my uh, my initial mentor was my uncle who was uh, studying double uh, E electrical engineering. So I kind of a followed his uh, footsteps, uh, studied double E in Tehran. And then when I moved to California, uh, I did my grad school in computer science. Uh, but honestly, uh, from early on, I never worked as an engineer. Uh, I uh, My very first uh, uh, career was uh, uh, starting my first company, Media Vision, out of San Francisco, where we were uh, providing equipment for language interpretation. So I always... Uh, used my uh, seven, eight years of uh, studies as an engineer to be able to really 
um, understand what it takes to build products. Uh, at the same time, really bridging the gap with uh, users and the experience of the product, and also those uh, behind the scene really coding and programming and building hardware solutions as well. I can see why uh, family has been so integral to your life. I mean, from the UN standpoint and how it opened your eyes for young. And then you said, you know what? I'm really enamored with what the UN does. And so you do a lot of work with the UN. And then you have an uncle who's an uh, electrical engineer. Uh, so when people hear the term, some people may not understand double E means electrical engineer. And that got your interest in electrical engineering, which is very practical. It's a very practical form of engineering, but also on the leading edge, the cutting edge of what's possible, right? Uh, it's it's also a very difficult program, very math oriented. And, and then you took that background to become an entrepreneur, to invent things, create new kinds of technologies, form companies. So I, I can see this, this route. So, uh, um, so what, you know, in 2016, you co-founded Avatronics. Can you talk about that company? Uh, yes, this is a company that uh, I uh, actually supported the initial investment and co-founded uh, with uh, two uh, great partners. Um, it's, it's a business around uh, 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 basically uh, noise cancelling uh, technology. It's a deep tech uh, company. I have uh, been on the board uh, since uh, uh, year two when we created the board. And I have not been uh, operating in the business. Uh, the CEO and the CTO are the ones operating, uh, really looking at creating a more quiet world as a mission. As uh, you know, the uh, noise is the, one of the biggest threat right now, uh, especially in large metropolitan cities or in uh, transportation or even in some of the work environment. Um, the, the company is uh, doing really well, uh, which is around like licensing the technology with uh, with uh, key partners, whether on the uh, chip level or on the product level as well. Yeah, and, and I can see how this background again in 2012, you're part of the design and rollout of a complete makeover of the UN uh, Nation, uh, United Nations meeting facilities. You played a key role in supporting you know high end equipment. Uh, to various iterations of the IMF and the World Bank and their annual meetings and, and European institutions. And that background then helped when you uh, co-founded Avatronics and then you're into active noise canceling. Again, it, it's, it's about sound and voice and, and so on. So there's this common thread, right? Uh, and then in 2017, you founded Kudo. Can you talk about Kudo? Yeah, so... Overall, as uh, entrepreneurs, uh, um, we very much, maybe sometimes too much, focus on problems and uh, really the pain points. So um, UN was, as I said, from my teenage time, uh, being always kind of a, my lighthouse, right? <laughs> always looking forward to, to, to do something with the UN. So in 2011, when I got notified that we got awarded to renovate the UN. So I decided to move to New York from San Francisco to spend one year supporting this project. A multi-million dollar project, about $2 billion um, uh, capital for renovating the entire buildings and 
uh, instead of, uh, I think three years, it took six years, uh, typical construction projects with all the challenges. While of course, uh, I really felt this project uh, was very rewarding for me, but I also noticed that there is a big opportunity for uh, creating a product, a solution that is a lot more accessible. Not everybody has the real estate, the resources, the use case of the UN. What if we build a product, let's call it UN in the cloud, that businesses can use, um, educators can benefit from? So that was kind of the, while of course I was very, uh, on the moon during this project, I felt there should be a better way. There should be an easier way to really bring language, the missing L in DI, in the businesses, in the corporate America, in the higher ed. So that kind of a triggered the, um, the uh, thought process, uh, the idea behind Kudo. So 2017, we started writing the first line of code it took us about 18 months to release our version one of the product. Um, this is in uh, mid 2000, uh, end of 2018. And because coming from the background, knowing the use cases, so we had the product market fit very early on having users using the product. And, and uh, you know, you work, I mean, it integrates, uh... I mean, I, I I walked through a demo of the of the product, and it's really quite interesting. It, it ha I can see the UN roots in there, yeah. where it can marry with the UN system, and yet it, it doesn't need the UN system. It can sit in any organization, company worldwide who needs this kind of fluency of being able to interact with each other, no matter what the language is, and to be do it in a very uh, in a very sort of intuitive, easy way, so that it's a very very accessible. And you're using AI as, as, as part of that. So when did you get interested in AI? So um, within Kudo, we had like three major stages of involvement, right? We started with the platform. At the time, our platform was the only platform where you can have video calls with built-in language interpretation. Then we realized that, okay, we have this really unique delivery platform for multilingual meetings, but how can I how can I find qualified interpreters for somebody who doesn't know how to look for interpreters? Do I use Google? Do I use Craigslist? What do I use to source interpreters? The business has been very much like travel agency, calling agency, asking for pricing, asking for availability. So we built this um, enterprise ready B2B marketplace, one side qualified vetted interpreters and the other side all video platforms, right? So we uh, built that. And then we saw the growth of multilingual meetings because we just made something easier for people to use. But then um, our journey didn't stop there because um, human interpretation, as much as with accessing through our marketplace and through different platforms, it's a lot more 
accessible, but still it costs. It costs uh, a few hundred dollars an hour, and also availability is a is a, is a case. Our view is language is a barrier for people if it's not there for their personal and professional growth. And for us to really make this accessible, we went back again to technology. So we've been working on AI for the last two and a half years. Of course, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and language is an area that many uh, big tech companies are working on. What we bring in uh, is how we differentiate ourselves with uh, addressing the nuance of language, trying to mimic uh, how live human interpretation works to be able to add uh, the meaning, not word by word, and also being able to create this simultaneously and customization depending on the vertical. For example, our clients are using our uh, solution to be able to um, add their own um, vocabulary glossaries for their acronyms, their, uh, their keywords, their names, numbers, and so on, in a way to be able to um, uh, increase the accuracy. And uh, also latency is a big uh, challenge when it comes to speech-to-speech uh, -to, -speech to create uh, uh, the latency. Our latency today is around like uh, 4.2 seconds. Um, human interpretation is, depending on the language, uh, sometimes it could be about two seconds. So we still have opportunities to improve and become better. Um, but uh, quite exciting time for, uh, for AI as we see a lot of uh, growth potential. Um, only when you think about it, about 20% of the world's population, they speak English. And there are a lot of um, excitement around increasing engagement in uh, hybrid and uh, online meetings. And uh, we, we see this uh, adding AI, whether speech to speech or speech to text, is really creating that inclusion and also opportunity for uh, productivity. Uh, in, in corporations as well as uh, non-for-profits. Yeah, you know, this idea of, of text-to-speech and speech-to-text has been around uh, for a long time and including uh, translation, and it's been around for a number of years. And uh, what are, what you would, uh, what would you consider to be some of the sort of the breakthroughs that have occurred on this um, speech understanding and then multi-language? Yeah, so definitely the tech, the AI as a whole has, has had a tremendous progress in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, uh, whether it's a speech to text, text to text translation or text to speech. So um, for us, uh, we see uh, better, um, uh, and quicker access to large language models uh, and also better technologies on the speech to text. What we do, which is our kudo kind of a, uh, a kind of a superpower, is being able to create um, human-like translation in a building model, predicting what's coming next based on uh, what's being said. 
and also restructuring the sentences um, uh, to create uh, uh, the 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 most uh, or the closest uh, translation to to human uh, interpreters. That's really our, our superpower. That's where we have our patented uh, technology. Um, and uh, we love to uh, integrate with uh, different voices. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of plans for us on uh, voice cloning and unlimited voices and so on. I see. So um, when you saw the um, release of ChatGPT um, last year, about a year ago now, uh, what was your reaction? Um, of course, like everybody, very uh, happily surprised and very fascinated uh, by but uh, by ChatGPT. We actually integrate uh, uh, on our version two point five with GPT three point five uh, to increase even uh, the uh, the quality of the output of Kudo AI. And uh, we see this as a great uh, technology complement for us to be able to use a large language model to create a better experience for the users. And then are you looking at, uh, you know, GPT-4 Turbo, uh, GPT-4 Vision? Um, it's interesting, they have this thing called Chat uh, GPT Builder. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's evolving so quickly and, and that must um, be exciting for you, but also, um, be bewildering or not bewildering, but present challenges perhaps, or maybe more opportunities. Yeah, we see this very much opportunity for, for us because uh, we don't see this as a threat, but as, as an opportunity. As we said, we're using this. I, I The other day I saw a, a, a custom a chat GPT built by our head of sales in APAC sharing, hey, I built a, a new uh, GPT uh, for our internal sales team to be able to look at all of our databases and answer customers' questions quicker. So we see this both as a user, but also as a add-on uh, technology integration with our existing uh, Kudo AI to create a better uh, experience for our customers. So from a tech stack standpoint, I don't know if you can get into this, or, or do you make use of Microsoft at all on the Azure platform or? Yeah, so Azure um, definitely uh, also, Google Voice is, is also very exciting for us. Uh, uh, these are, again, the deep tech. Uh, we're not here to reinvent the wheels. We're bringing really our knowledge on language as part of our DNA to be able to create a better product that provides a better um, user experience. Uh, so all the uh, Azure, AWS, uh, uh, Google, these are for us, uh, um, as, as much as they develop and bring a, a, a exciting opportunities, it's just going to help us to achieve our goals, which is creating an end-to-end -end solution for better accessibility for language for customers. Yeah, and then you'll be doing this for such a long time. And, you know, as you mentioned, in 2012, you were part of this multi-billion dollar sort of refactoring of the United Nations meeting facilities. When you're Part of that complete makeover, uh, what were some of the big challenges? And then what, what, uh, how did it open up uh, your thinking about some of the opportunities as well? Because after that, that's when you started forming 
uh, these other companies, right, to address uh, some of the issues, the challenges. So, yeah, uh, I've been told I'm not uh, focusing too much on positive. I'm focusing a lot on problems, right? Um, I'm going to share your story. So, in addition to the UN, of course, we learned a lot during that uh, project. Uh, we also started working on the UN Geneva, but many other large organizations. One of our um, customer was the IMF World Bank. Um, I was in Lima, Peru in 2015 or 2016 for the annual meeting. Uh, these annual meetings, every four years, they travel to a new country, a host country. Uh, this was in Lima, 16,000 delegates, finance, uh, basically head of finance, uh, they all traveled to Lima. Um, and it was a Friday, the Japanese finance minister wanted to speak for 20 minutes. And his go-to Japanese interpreter was based in Washington, D.C. And the idea was bringing the interpreter to Lima for that 20 minute um, uh, interpretation. And speaking with the project, uh, kind of a, a, a manager, that was a, about $8,000 expense at that time to book a travel to get this interpreter into Lima for that 20 minute. That was for me an aha moment of, uh, we have the technology, we should be able to bring this interpreter remotely uh, to, to this meeting without going through all the expenses and so on. And of course, this is all kind of a building blocks uh, towards uh, uh, my next uh, venture, uh, which is Kudo, as, as we know. Right, so I mean, and what you saw was that at the time you had to physically have the interpreter present and you thought, you shouldn't have to. That's, that it's true. It's it's kind of like a lot of time and expense. And you enabled to do this electronically, right? Through uh, uh you know, virtually in essence. And and then from there, once you understood that you could do this virtually and create the seamless environment through technology, then you thought, gee, we could add AI to that to add even an, an enhanced kind of capability to augment uh, in, uh, interpreters, but also you can you can use them in place of interpreters as well, right? AI, but doing it in a fashion from all the learnings that you, of how interpreters work so that it felt natural and, and uh, wasn't a, a break from the traditional kind of feeling of how interpreters work, right? Exactly, definitely it helps us uh, to, um build products that are going to add access. We are firm believer that um, AI and human um, are uh, going to coexist when it comes to language and interpretation. There are a number of meetings, a number of reasons that we believe that depending on um, the type of meeting, is it a meeting that's gonna be a lot of decisions uh, to be made? Is it a due diligence call? Is it a training awareness town hall meeting? Um, for example, going back again to the UN use case, UN operates in six official languages, um, English, French, Spanish, 
Arabic, Chinese, and Russian. So the entire organization is budgeted and built around these six languages. But we have number of um, countries that they speak different languages. And uh, definitely AI could add accessibility and more engagement for those that they don't speak any of these six languages. I love to my uh, my uh, uh, relatives in Iran who speak uh, Farsi to be able to log in and listen to the UN uh, um, uh, session in their own language. Or if somebody living in uh, in Turkey or in in India. So these are like uh, areas that I see accessibility, but AI is AI gonna replace the Security Council meeting? Uh, and I would I would never say no, but definitely not in near future, right? <laughs> so what has been the uh, reaction to? I mean, there's over forty UN agencies. There's the UN out of New York, and um, because I work with different agencies, they're they're somewhat independent bodies. Do you find that there's a common communication? body that you deal with within the UN that handles all of that communication? Or do you have to individually go out to each agency and say, hey, we have this um, solution and then negotiate with them? And then and so what's what's kind of the, the logistics aspect of dealing with the UN? And then what has been the feedback from the UN as they are starting to onboard um, more aspects of what you do, right? So. Yeah. So definitely while UN and other large institutions are on our radar, but they're not on our immediate uh, kind of a, a target. And the reason is um, uh, historically, um, these institutions, um, it takes longer for adoption to new technologies, but also the level of comfort uh, should be there, the level of confidence should be there. I believe when it comes to AI, artificial intelligence, uh, there is a bit of a, a time to adopt and people, they need to trust um, the technology. Our very much focus is around uh, uh, corporate America or uh, non-for-profits, um, educations, uh, as well as many, uh, we have about like 2,000 people today that they have an account and they're using our AI. And we have some of the uh, uh, very well-known global brands that they're using AI for their day-to-day meetings. But they are using AI not as a replacement to human interpretation, as a first time that they're providing language access for their participants. Um, we are we have a bit of an unfair advantage compared to any other AI company because we have a marketplace of human interpretation with 12,000 interpreters um, uh, as a one solution. And we have a, a AI that provides 30 plus languages. So we're able to really come in and uh, not really push for solution one or solution two, but share really as a consultant the pros and cons of each and really have the end user deciding what makes sense. Many of our customers, they use both technologies for different use cases, right? 
uh, oh, I know exactly what meeting I'm going to use human interpretation. And at the same time, I know where I want to add AI. Um, so uh, it's, it's a bit of a learning process for us as well, because there are, there are some uh, of our customers that they come with new use cases that we never thought about, right? I have these visitor centers and I want my visitors to come in and be able to ask any questions. I have this showroom that I want them to scan a QR code and be able to communicate with my rep, right? So a lot of use cases that coming from their users. So we're trying to stay very close um, to these users to be able to understand better um, what the opportunities are, where the limitations are, and uh, try to build around that. So that's really fascinating. I mean, you're addressing a market need. You definitely have a lot of expertise in this area, uh, dating back for a long, long, I mean, you know, uh, really decades in a way, right? Because just of your cultural background and so on. And then, and and um, this ability to create hybrid environments because you have these relationships with the, all of these interpreters that are out there. You have the uh, virtualization technology where you can have interpreters, but they don't have to fly anywhere uh, to do interpretation. And then you also have AI, and you're continually uh, fine-tuning that, improving its capabilities. And the advantage there is then you can, it, it, it's sort of unlimited, right? Anytime you use technology and you've blended this all into an environment which can have, it can replicate the kind of the feelings that the UN wants to have and yet it could um, adapt to any kind of circumstance, whether it's a nonprofit or a corporation and, and so forth. So that's that's a, a, a great sort of arc in your career of, of you know, starting with this idea of UN and going into uh, interpretation and language and how it's being held, uh, you know, managed into uh, managing noise and so on. Okay, now let's sh uh, shift gears, and I want to shift gears into two areas, and that is, you're you're doubly you're an entrepreneur. You use the latest technology. You you solve real problems. Let's kind of forecast where you think that's going. So we're going to do a little bit of live brainstorming in that area. And then you're also YPO, so I want to sort of understand that journey as well for our audience. So first of all, where do you think all of this is going? So you, you saw all of news, you know, with OpenAI and Sam Altman, and then there was this thing called QSTAR, and people are thinking artificial general intelligence, and then you see Apple releasing their Vision Pro earlier this year where people thought, gee, where, where is that going? You know, like the metaverse, that term isn't so widely used, but the immersive environments and digital twins are still progressing. Do you think, so I'd like to get your thoughts on where you think, you know, where that is going in the next uh, five years. Do you think that we're gonna have artificial general intelligence? Do you think we're gonna be to embody that into robots, you know, like Tesla has a, a robot? Um, OpenAI has invested in robots, which is going to be have some of this um, uh, large language models powering them. Do you think, uh, you know, what do you think about those trends if you were to kind of look into the future? And that's going to influence what happens with you. Maybe in the future, uh, Kudo will have robotic <laughs> interpreters or something like that as well. Definitely, uh, it's all fascinating, very exciting keeps us all up at night uh, when uh, we 
uh, here the progress when we're witnessing some of the progress, some area we are at the forefront of those uh, development. Um, at the end of the day, uh, my view is that every technology that we build as, a, as innovators, as technology companies, we're solving one problem, which is human connection. Right, We want to be able to connect better. We want to be more efficient. We want to be more, um, bring more opportunities for better uh, society, better living, better growth opportunity for us, better education for next generation. And uh, what I like to uh, express my opinion is only the area that I have expertise, which is language, right? In that area, I can see um, language is going to be uh, or should be on the forefront of all the technologies that you mentioned, because we are just becoming more and more connected than ever before and less patient to wait until something is localized in our own language. Less patient to be able to hear what was the latest news, what was the latest development. Um, so we wanna really communicate quicker and have access to the information quicker with a good quality. And that's really our focus. You know, right now, pretty much 65% um, of companies, they experience lack of engagement through their employees and because whether they attend the meetings and they're not fully engaged the content is not right there or they just don't understand the language of spoken in that in that meeting you have 24 billion hours of wasted meetings on an annual basis across the globe uh, whether in person or online so these are like um, all opportunities for us. And whether we want to build a, a Vision Pro <laughs> or we want to bring people uh, virtually in the same room, 3D uh, hologram, or we want to um, create better technologies. But at the end of the day, uh, we think that we, we want people to communicate and get closer and connect better. And we see language a big... Uh, a uh, big barrier there. Um, uh, but of course, there's going to be a lot of regulations coming out. There's going to be a lot of uh, 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 hopefully guideline coming out to make sure that we do this in the right way. And uh, we want to support that. What I'm hearing, though, is, is that fundamentally people have to connect and language is a way to do it. And and so you, you just see this as a growing sort of a marketplace and, uh, and improving the way people can connect. And and so you're looking at it from that lens of language and connectivity and, and humanity and and augmentation, right? Helping, being an assistant. So it so it must be pretty exciting for you to see see these things uh, change every day. It's very exciting, and also um, uh, for us as a startup, um, we gotta stay focused, right? It's because the language and the opportunity of of using uh, our AI technology 
building different products for different use cases is, is, is limitless. So there are so many use cases. Um, we just need to stay very focused. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that um, we got to learn to say no, <laughs> to be able to say good yes and deliver. So that's kind of has been the biggest challenge uh, during my uh, uh, journey as an entrepreneur is uh, definitely to, to limit the scope, but really build something that, uh, that we are very confident. And still every day, it's a challenge for us. Okay, so you, you know, you're a successful entrepreneur, you're a serial entrepreneur, and, and you've uh, created companies. And, and so what would be your recommendations for, you know, success as an entrepreneur? What are the attributes of the individual? What are the attributes of a team? What are the attributes of a startup to be successful? So team, the individual or individual team, and then the, the entity itself, what, what are the things that make for success? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, so the first, uh, the first element for an entrepreneur, in my opinion, definitely is not the idea or skill set. It's really about uh, persistent and being able to grind and be being able not to give up. That's like number one uh, commitment, commitment to the vision, commitment to the business. Uh, uh, definitely we don't have a lack of ideas in today's world we definitely missing execution the ability to execute so uh, being able to make decisions not quick decisions but make a lot of decisions and being able to execute quickly uh, quick execution is, is very important uh, you can take the time to come to the decision point, not a problem. But once um, a founder and entrepreneur makes a, a decision, it's about all execution and putting all the effort, all the resources, all the focus on the team to execute. Um, the team, um, I think of team as a, a football team, soccer team, where uh, you need offense, goalkeeper, midfield, uh, you need players in the team to complement one another, um, not to compete with one another when it comes to skill set. So what makes a very good soccer team is really about having the right players at the right uh, position um, uh, during a game. Um, of course, uh, startups, uh, they don't... Uh, they don't fail because of lack of ideas. Uh, sometimes they have many ideas. It's about lack of execution. So for a startup, it's just to stay focused on the mission and execute with the proper funding, with the proper um, adoption, uh, user adoption. So I would say, um, and also the market changes, right? what could be a very successful product at the beginning could turn out to be a feature by big tech companies. So the biggest uh, challenge that I see is how to always innovate and have a product uh, that could differentiate uh, from others and also defensible enough uh, um, in the market, right? 
And that's a challenging part, right? Because it's a constant change. And uh, and yeah, uh, one year working at a startup is equal <laughs> few years working at a larger company. So it's a lot of work. You know, there's some really great tips there. And it reminds me, I read about a study where they looked at the top uh, founders out of Harvard. I think there was about 18 or 20 of them. And they asked them, um, these uh, Harvard graduates who started really successful companies said, they asked them, you know, what were the keys to success? And they said, they said it wasn't skill or, or, or tech, or it was actually persistence, resilience, uh, being able to just work hard and just being able to stay at it, right? And you mentioned that as your that's one of the first uh, sort of attributes that you think uh, people should have. And then, of course, then you, I, I remember a, a conversation I had with this uh, gentleman who sits on some of the boards I, I uh, chair, but I remember meeting him in 2009, a very successful executive for Infosys. And I asked him, what's one key to success is execute. You got to, and you mentioned execution. Uh, there's, like you said, there's a proliferation of ideas out there, but if, unless you execute, then it, nothing's going to happen. And you, and throughout the interview here, you mentioned focus, right? Don't lose focus while you're executing and um, this idea of agility as well. You, you indicated that kind of one year of being a startup, it's like multiple years in a corporation. You have to be agile and constantly um, assessing the marketplace and making sure you can differentiate and some, uh, somehow making sure that you can spotlight that differentiation so that people can say, hey, I want to use your company and, and so much more. So, I mean, all of those things resonate from the interviews I've done and, and other entrepreneurs I, I meet, but you're, you know, you're a successful entrepreneur. Uh, and I know that you're part of YPO and I know you're, uh, there's a, this sort of strict confidentiality and privacy. I don't know if you want to talk about that aspect or or not? Would you like to share that journey a bit? Yeah. Um, so one of uh, my advisor, Alex, uh, who is also an early investor at, at Kudo, he recommended YPO to me in 2019, and I joined YPO. Uh, YPO, as you remember as well, is young uh, president organizations that uh, we have about 20,000 uh, members globally. Uh, on part of the New York uh, Liberty chapter since 2019. And uh, what's great about this uh, organization is um, uh, having a, a very close and tight network of executives and uh, business owners and entrepreneurs where uh, we have a very structured uh, forum uh, which is a monthly meeting. Uh, some forums have lasted for uh, 20 plus years. Some forum members they are in the same members in the same forum for 20 plus years, meeting once a year, sorry, once a month for four hours, very structured, every minute is counted. And um, we talk about uh, uh, everything detail some areas we share information about personal family and business three areas that we have updates we have presentation 
And I've used some of that techniques in my uh, management meetings within my own board at the company. And it's fascinating how these people become my first call when I'm challenged, when I'm challenged by a problem, when I see an opportunity and I want to get some sounding um, uh, thoughts uh, from uh, my peers. And these are like people I get so close to and I respect them so much that uh, becomes like, um, uh, uh, of course, there are so no business together. So we have no interest uh, as far as financial interest uh, in one another. And of course, there is a lot of networking events that we attend uh, and participate. So I do recommend for any business owners out there, um, uh, there's a bit of a, a screening process, but uh, it's a great uh, organization to join and uh, learn and grow. And just a bit of an update. I, I just saw an update uh, that I guess the numbers now are about 35,000 and across a, a, over 150 countries. And there's about 500 chapters. And then you mentioned this idea of a forum, <laughs> which which is this is sort of very intimate sharing and under uh, strict confidentiality. And that's kind of maybe the power, right? It, this, intimate sharing of, of CEO to CEO, a peer to peer sharing, and it, it becomes uh, an informal network and yet in a way formal too, to advise you for, for your life, right? About every aspect of yes. your personal family and business. So, and you said you recommend it, but then there is a, there is a, a, a bear, a, like a, a barrier and the barrier is that, they want to make sure that you're successful to get in. So they, they'll check to make sure that you have certain measures of success to get in. But then what, what it does is once you're in, then you have an access to a tremendous network, right? So that's right. That's right. So that's how long you've been a member, Stephen. I'm actually an external that was invited in at what you call a resource. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, um and, and because I've been trying, uh, I was invited in to help. Um, and, this, and, and this is public because I interviewed the gentleman who invited me in, his name is Florian Kimmerich. And in September, 2017, he said, Stephen, we're, we're going into YPO 3.0. And because you do so much across so many different organizations, excuse me, can you meet and help us? And I said, sure. So. Thank you for that. So my journey with your organization is, a, is as a resource, just trying to help you and your organization, uh, you know, uh, go through, you know, some of the some of the things that you're trying to um, adopt and, and grow and, and so on. But uh, it's, it's been really interesting meeting people like yourself who have, uh, you know, tremendous vision capabilities and uh, are executing, as you mentioned, <laughs> with focus. We're down to the last few minutes of our uh, interview uh, personally. So we talked about your company. We talked about this organization called YPO that you're part of. Uh, it's a private membership organization. Um, personally, where would you like to see yourself, um, let's say in the next five years? And then I have one more question after that. So if, if we were to look at Fardad uh, version 100 in, by 2030, what would that Fardad look like? 2030. Um, I've been uh, 
a bit, I find a bit of a uh, very much a focus on a same problem over the last 25 years. So kind of a trying to solve the same problem from different perspective, different businesses. So um, I think I'm gonna still very much focus on solving the same problem, uh, but probably uh, gonna add uh, a, a, a bit of a mentorship and giving back uh, to uh, new generations of founders. I've already started that. So I'm advising uh, a few startups. I'm investing in a startup. So this is an area I believe startups are um, the backbone of innovation. Uh, they really should benefit, if not, from what makes them very unique, which is speed. And uh, I love to uh, uh, share what I've learned uh, during the last uh, two decades uh, back to new generations of founders and help them. So that's kind of an area that I'm gonna do more and more um, if uh, the time allows. And especially in the area of software, audio uh, language, these are kind of a enterprise software. These are the areas that I'm very uh, excited and passionate about. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, a career-wise uh, 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 as far as personally, uh, of course, uh, I have two young kids uh, uh, and uh, spending time with them. Uh, so really, uh, we speak three languages at home. My wife is French, so uh, we speak uh, uh, Farsi, English, and uh, French. So they continue to always fascinate me how quick learner they are um, in, in language. My daughter now uh, started learning Spanish as a fourth language. Uh, she's only nine years old, and I'm quite impressed with her skill set about uh, language. Definitely not a good opportunity for business if she speaks multiple languages in the future. I don't want to lose all my customers <laughs> because they're all uh, uh, speaking multiple languages, but now very fascinated with, with that. So. Yeah, and there's opportunities for your children with something called YNGers, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Um, for the audience, those are called YPO Next Generation. And because I've done interviews with many of your your colleagues within YPO, so it's public information about YNGers. So um, I get, and then we're time for one last question is, uh, what recommendation do you want to leave to the audience? Um. In what area? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's open. You could, it could be okay. business-wise. It could be uh, for startups. It could be um, uh, young people who are out there. By the way, when I measure my audience, the top five roles of my audience are CEOs, founders, board members, <laughs> co-founders, and then six is like professors, engineers, and so on. But right, right, right. Um. So I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm. A, I don't know if I'm uh, well positioned to make recommendations uh, for this uh, vast majority of audience. Um, but I can just share some of my learnings. Um, I really like. Uh, I really enjoy uh, my uh, work when I'm learning. There has been times that um, I felt that I'm not growing, I'm not learning. And 
and uh, and that's that becomes tough days as a business owner as a ceo that i feel that okay this is like the day in day out it's the same grind and i'm not growing i'm not learning so um i try to constantly learn and grow and that keeps me excited about what i do um in my new or not new or the last uh, six years at kudo i felt that my job has been changing every three to six months um and this is just maybe the nature of startups uh because of the changes the the macroeconomy the product itself the team itself um and i like that i like that a lot so um Definitely what we do, I really value the learning and growth as one thing. And that requires us really uh, to leave our egos behind the door when we walk into the office and really uh, be always curious. So that's kind of a uh, my own personal experience that uh, I love to share. Yeah, those are great recommendations. Continually try to uh, you know stretch goals and learn and um and continue lifelong learning and and also uh, as you mentioned uh, anytime you have a startup you have to continue to be agile right right and uh, be sort of very inclusive and and uh, look at the boundaries and keep pushing the boundaries uh, so you know for that uh, thank you for coming in uh, you've got a marvelous career you've done a lot and you continue to do so much more and contributing in so many uh, different ways. So thank you for coming in and sharing so many insights with our audience. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.